I'm JG Michael, and this is Parallax Views. Hello, this is Mike Swanson. In a few moments, you're going to listen to another segment of Parallax Views. But before you do that, let me tell you about my new book, Why the Vietnam War. It's a sequel to my previous book called The War State, which has lots of positive reviews and Amazon's been out for years. But this one is a more detailed case study of how American Empire National Security State operate using Vietnam. And I believe it shows also how things work today, how policy is actually made and why. So grab the book on Amazon.com, Why the Vietnam War. This edition of Parallax Views is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors at the $10 tier and above of my Patreon page at patreon.com slash parallaxviews. Once again, that's patreon.com slash parallaxviews. Producers, Credit shoutouts to Mark, Arlen, Spartacus, Gunner, Ed, Gratz, James, Mickey, Brian, The Warnerd, The 42 Group, Nick, Emilia, Chase, Chris, Orc, Black Tuna, Nobody, David, Holland, Martin, Stu, Jeffrey, Thomas, Elliot, Colin, Michael, Matthew Ho, Brace Belden, Galen, Justin, Nick W, Chance, and the Mere M E E R Project. If you'd like to join those listeners in getting your very own producer's credit on each and every edition of Parallax Views, Consider joining them in supporting me at the $10 tier or above on my Patreon page at patreon.com slash parallaxviews. One more time, patreon.com slash parallaxviews. And now, on to the show. Hey there, Parallax Views listeners, on this edition of the program. April 19th marked the 27th anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing, the deadliest terrorist attack on United States soil until the terrorist attacks of September 11th, 2001. 168 people, including children, perished in the bombing of the Alfred P. Murrah building. The failure to prevent the attack has led to many speculations, varying in their degrees of sensationalism, with some being more probable than others. Joining us to discuss not only the Oklahoma City bombing, and the potential questions that still remain about it and why it wasn't prevented, as well as the FBI's operation known as PATCON, or Patriot Conspiracy, 
which involved domestic spying and infiltration of the Patriot or Militia Movement, is journalist Ken Silva of the Epic Times. Now, I know the Epic Times is, to put it charitably, a very conservative, I would say, uh, paper, but I feel like the reporting Ken has done on subjects like the Oklahoma City bombing and PatCon have some merit, or at least need to be heard, especially when we think about PatCon in relation to, say, COINTELPRO, or now the questions that have arisen in the Wolverine Watchman case involving the kidnapping of Governor Gretchen Whitmer. And then, of course, there are the cases documented by Trevor Aronson during the War on Terror years in his book, The Terror Factory, which I erroneously referred to as manufacturing terrorism in the course of this conversation, detailing domestic operations against Muslim American citizens. Also, when we look at the Oklahoma City bombing itself, we should be asking the question, could this have been prevented? And if so, who should be held responsible for fumbling the ball? A note that at one point, one of the characters in this story that we're going to be talking about, a rather nasty neo-Nazi bank robber currently languishing in prison, has transitioned. Ken switches a bit between their former name and the name they use now. So with all that in mind, let's get right to the conversation with Ken Silva on the FBI, PatCon, and the Oklahoma City bombing. Welcome to Parallax Views. Journalist Ken Silva of the Epic Times and a researcher into the topic of, I would say, federal infiltration into right-wing groups across America. How are you doing today? Oh, doing well. Thanks for having me. And yeah, I'd say that's that's a good uh, description of what I do. <laughs> so just to get this uh, out of the right off the bat, I, we talked about it off air. Uh, most of my audience probably comes from a, a different political space, and they probably heard the Epic Times, and some of them are probably freaking out. But I want you to give your my listeners a, a chance to hear you out on why maybe they should be concerned, even if they're not uh, coming from, you know, I, I would say the Epic Times comes from a very uh, sort of very conservative end of the political spectrum. But why should left-wingers care about, or, or just, you know, liberals or anyone else that doesn't identify as conservative, why should they care about this topic that you're writing about with regards to um, right-wing infiltration uh, by federal agencies? Well, I believe your listeners and the public at large should care about this topic because this infiltration has either failed to stop or has incited some of the deadliest terrorist attacks in this country's history. And I agree that, you know, far-right extremism, neo-Nazis, 
uh, white supremacist, uh, that it, it is a it is a problem in this country. Um, but the issue is that many of these people are federal informants. And and I think people on the left should realize that and think, yes, white supremacist is a terrible issue and, and the FBI should not be subsidizing it. And, and also, of course, there's the history of, well, you know, COINTELPRO, uh, the feds going after civil rights activists. So, you know, they may clamp down on the right, but uh, they're going to use that to also put the boot down on everyone else as well. Yeah, exactly. I So what I've been doing a lot of writing about is an FBI infiltration program called Patriot Conspiracy or PATCON for short. Yeah, PATCON. And I actually, I wish I could give credit to the person on Twitter I saw that described PATCON as COINTELPRO for the right. I, I think that's pretty much, yeah, the best way to sum it up in, you know, in a couple words would be, yeah, PATCON, according to an, a whistleblower, a former informant who worked in this program, uh, it was in operation for the FBI to infiltrate right-wing groups and incite them to violence, similar to COINTELPRO in the 60s. Now, I want to get into the origins of PATCON, uh, which, again, stands for Patriot Conspiracy. But I guess in order to do that, we have to talk about this thing from the 90s that some of my younger listeners may not know about, and it's called the Patriot Movement. So what was the Patriot Movement, and why were the FBI so interested in it? Sure. So in the 80s, there was a lot of economic hardship in the heartland. Uh, you know, Reagan, I think, jacked up interest rates to try to fight inflation. But that did a lot of uh, that put a lot of stress on the farmers. So a lot of people lost their land. Uh, there are a lot of former Vietnam veterans coming home, feeling like their country betrayed them. Uh, some soldiers of a fortune that worked for Reagan down in uh, Nicaragua. Uh, in the Iran-Contra scandal, uh, they were like working for the CIA, training the Contras, and then they felt like Reagan threw them under the bus after the scandal uh, kind of, you know, made headlines. And a, a lot of these disenfranchised people uh, started forming their own militias in the 80s. And these were right-wing militias, and there was a lot of anti-government rhetoric, and sometimes that rhetoric, you know, discussed, you know, killing feds, doing violence, to government officials and uh, things like that. Um, so that was the militia movement and the FBI was um, kind of alarmed at the rhetoric they were hearing coming from these people. And they, they launched PATCON to investigate this. Uh, PATCON entailed three undercover FBI agents pretending to be neo-Nazi bank robbers, uh, which is funny because there were real neo-Nazi bank robbers with ties to OKC. We could talk about that later. That's the um, ARA, right? That's the ARA, yes. Okay, and, and go on. Yeah, and these, these FBI undercovers operated a front group called uh, Veterans Aryan Movement. So again, the similarities are very similar. These were supposedly, you know, Vietnam veterans that came home and started their own neo-Nazi militia. Of course, again, this is an FBI front group. And the significance is that uh, these this operation never resulted in any major arrests, which means that at best it was a massive intelligence operation, a domestic spying campaign in the early 90s that failed to prevent Oklahoma City. Um, and as I think my work shows, at, at the worst, 
it gets a lot darker than that. There are actually connections to Oklahoma City bombing and, and suggestions that it might be an actual right wing incitement operation rather than just an informant operation. I want to get into that, but uh, I guess with regards to this 1990 right wing infiltration op, uh, PatCon, it's so secret that I guess a lot of the details are, are still pretty murky. That's correct. Yeah. So after the Oklahoma City bombing happened, some of the FBI agents, well, you know, they told Congress, they told the public, you know, after Watergate, after COINTELPRO was exposed, you know, Congress defanged us. We didn't have any intelligence uh, to be able to track these um, these white supremacists, these neo-Nazis, these violent right wingers. Uh, PatCon wasn't revealed until 2007 when a, an extremism researcher obtained a, a trove of heavily redacted um, documents, records showing showing kind of the ba basic outlines of PatCon that the, was this big domestic spying operation in the 90s. Um, so these records started to trickle out and give broad outlines of uh, of what PatCon was, but then a whistleblower came out a couple of years later, and that's when things got a lot more interesting. And that extremism researcher we should note is uh, J.M. Berger, who, uh, to be fair here, uh, he I think he's a lot more, I guess, conciliatory towards uh, the FBI and, and their attempts to deal with extremism. I, I would say he gives the FBI's good intentions the benefit of the doubt. I don't, if, I don't know if you use the term or even like the term blue pill versus red pill. Like I would say Burgers takes the blue pill view of PatCon. He says, yes, it was a domestic spying operation. It probably infringed on constitutional rights. It didn't prevent Oklahoma City bombing. He even says, oh, Timothy McVeigh literally walked through this operation, which is correct. But he doesn't say, um, he gives the FBI's good intentions the benefit of the doubt. Whereas another guy, another researcher named Jesse Trenadu, uh, he takes the so-called red pill view of this, where he thinks that the FBI was actually working to provoke right-wing groups to violence. They weren't trying to solve crimes or prevent terrorism. They were trying to provoke it. Who knows why? Could you tell my listeners a little bit more about Trenadu? I'm a little bit familiar with him because uh, I, I know Scott Horton, our mutual friend, has uh, talked about him a lot. Yeah, Jesse Trenadu is a living historical character. Um, his story is very complex. His brother bears resemblance to one of the Aryan Republican Army members who was robbing banks throughout the early 90s. And the FBI uh, believed that he might have had knowledge of Oklahoma City or possibly even some connections to the attack. Um, there's a lot of evidence there. Um, so they're looking for this guy. His name's Richard Guthrie, and they uh, arrest Jesse Trinidad's brother, who looks almost exactly like this guy. Um, they interrogate him in prison. We don't know exactly what happened, but the interrogation went terribly wrong. Uh, they ended up essentially murdering Jesse's brother. Uh, they tried to cremate the body before Jesse could find out what happened. Um, but it turned out that Jesse was a, a, a trained attorney and a Marine. So he's got the brains. He's got, got the guts to go against the FBI. Uh, he keeps the body intact, discovers that, you know, his brother was definitely murdered. Um, 
he gets a call supposedly from, I believe somebody connected to McVeigh tells him that um, his brother was murdered be, because of these connections to Oklahoma City. This might be 1996. Jesse thinks it's some crackpot calling him, doesn't pay, pay it much mind um, until a journalist named J.D. Cash, who was working at Oklahoma at the time, uh, came out and kind of put all the pieces together for him. Uh, called him one day, uh, told him all the records uh, about Richard Lee Guthrie, the Aryan bank robbers, how they were tied to Oklahoma City, uh, the resemblance to Jesse's brother, and, you know, kind of helped Jesse put the pieces together. And Jesse's still fighting uh, battles in court to, to prove this definitively. What is your basic view on the Oklahoma City bombing, and, and what are the, the potential connections there between the bombing, uh, McVeigh, and this PATCON operation? Okay. I believe from talking to Jesse and Jesse's friend, uh, the late researcher Roger Charles, who unfortunately died a couple months ago, um, but I tend to agree with them that uh, the FBI was running a sting operation at the time. Uh, they were trying to, you know, maybe make Waco, justify Waco or make it disappear through a flashier headline by catching these neo-Nazi guys who are about to bomb a federal building. Now, Roger has shown me reports from the time that on April 18th, the day before the bombing, uh, there were bomb squads called into Oklahoma City from a nearby Air Force base. Uh, there were reports, um, independent sightings of people dressed like ninjas with equipment that looked like hoops. And the thought that Roger and Jesse believe is that they were, the FBI had people on the road with hoops and a rider truck with the bomb and a secret transponder inside it would drive by, trigger the FBI's equipment, they would launch the sting operation, make the arrests. Um, there's also evidence that there were two rider trucks rented before the bombing. So the, the thought was that the neo-Nazis knew that they were infiltrated by the FBI. They sent out a decoy rider truck, fooled the FBI, um, you know, sent the real bomb to the building in the morning, um, you know, murdered at least 168 people. And the FBI is trying to cover it up to prevent their, their embarrassment. I, I don't know if this was a, an operation. I know some people think the FBI purposely let it happen or something. So like Bill Clinton could talk about the evils of the right wing. I don't think oh, that's- I, I mean, I, I, not to interrupt you, but I was going to say, I, I want to get to talk about this because there's been so many wild mm -hmm. speculations about the Oklahoma City bombing over the years. You know, there was that one- general who said, uh, oh, it was the government, they planted the bombs in there and it was a false flag. Uh, there's a whole theory that, you know, Saddam or Al-Qaeda was behind it. Yeah. But what you're talking about is very different from all of that. And to be honest, it sounds much more plausible and mm -hmm. also indicative of, at the very least, potential criminal negligence. Well, and yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of rumors about Iraqi connections, but I just haven't seen the actual records, the names, places, the witnesses who supposedly saw these uh, Middle Easterners. 
Uh, the white supremacist connections are all thoroughly documented. We know these people existed. Some of them are in prison. Some of them are starting to get out of prison. Um, so this is very easy to uh, track and trace. It's, it's not speculative at all. Could you talk a little bit more about this neo-Nazi connection and uh, the Aryan Republican Army? Uh, yes, sure. So I guess uh, starting from the beginning, uh, the, the thought was that McVeigh was running with a group of bank robbers who were, you know, saving up to build the bomb through the proceeds of their crime. Uh, the reason we believe this is because Timothy McVeigh was writing letters to his sister uh, in the early 90s, even sending her money that he said were proceeds from bank robberies, telling her to launder it or, you know, do who knows what. Um, so we have that one piece of evidence. And then we know, again, there were there was a gang called the Aryan Republican Army that was committed at least 22 bank robberies uh, throughout the 90s. Um, and the connection between McVeigh and this group is the fact that many of these ARA members were living in Oklahoma in a place called Elohim City. I want to talk about Elohim City because a lot of people don't know about it. And to me, it's really key to this whole case. Well, sure. So I guess that we can launch into that right here because that was the home to many ARA members. And McVeigh, we had the phone record showing that McVeigh called Elohim City. I uh, actually called a person that was living with an ARA person. Um, so that's just you know, one one piece of evidence. There's dozens of others that we could get into. But uh, the key piece of evidence, and I actually wrote a story on this, uh, that I would say is a sworn statement from the ARA leader, a guy named uh, Pete Langan, um, who is actually a transgender inmate residing Donna in- Donna Langan a, now, right? Donna Langan now, yeah. Um, in the 90s, Pete terrorized the Midwest with bank robberies. Um, the ARA apparently, so some of Pete Langan's friends apparently sold him out to the FBI. Uh, the FBI arrested him in 96, and I guess agents were ta taunting him, saying, you're neo-Nazis buddies, um, you know, they betrayed you. And uh, Pete says, well, you know, those same people that betrayed me, they have blood on their hands. They're they're they have connections to the OKC uh, bombing, and uh, you know this is all in uh, sworn statements that he made. I think about ten years later, um, and it's not just his word. There there was evidence uh, from a safe house in Columbus where these ARA people you know had a lot of their guns and stuff like that. They also found explosives wrapped in Christmas paper. And they found the same type of explosives also wrapped in Christmas paper in McVeigh's back seat. So there's there's tons of connections here. And the key is, I, I don't have all the pieces to the puzzle, but the sitting attorney general was a prosecutor on this case, so he could very easily investigate the, these matters. So just to reiterate there, uh, so this Langan character, Donna Langan, is currently in prison. And I think you just wrote an article about that. Yes. Trent, did you actually provide it, Epic Times, with a sworn declaration from Langan uh, where uh, Langan talks about um, fellow ARA members sharing responsibility for the bombing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's correct. Um, one was... I believe he found out while he was in prison that one of his friends told the FBI 
that on April 19th, I was with Pete Langan. I was with now Donna Langan when the bomb went off. And Pete or Langan says, no, that's not the case. He, you know, this guy wasn't with me. Um, and then he found another FBI memo where the same guy said, told the FBI, oh, I was in Iowa. So you've got one ARA member telling the FBI separate times that I was in Iowa or I was with Langan in Pittsburgh, Kansas. And, uh, you know, Langan's kind of pointing out to the FBI that, like, this is a clear contradiction. This guy's lying. He lives at Elohim City. He's a violent Nazi. Why aren't you in investigating this further? And I, I'm curious, do you know much about, there's a figure I wanted to ask you about, and I don't know if you got to him in your articles, uh, but I believe he was the head of security um, for Elohim City, this uh, Strassmeyer character. He's a sort of mystery character in a lot of ways. Yeah, he is a, a very mysterious character. Um, Strassmeyer is a German national who was residing at the white supremacist compound. And they, they kind of treated him as a celebrity of sorts because I believe his grandfather was one of the original Nazis or something like that. And the significance of Strassmeyer is that he's, he was a, a colleague with, of McVeigh um, in the years leading up to the bombing and many FBI informants um, say they saw McVeigh like training with Strassmeyer and things like that. And, you know, okay, so Timothy McVeigh is hanging out with some German grandson of the Nazis. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that during McVeigh's trial, the judge sent out an order to every single government agency saying, if you have any records about the OKC investigation, you need to provide them for, you know, these legal proceedings. Uh, the CIA produced about 20 pages of heavily redacted records related to Andy Strassmeyer. We've never seen these fully unredacted records, but we know that Strassmeyer, his name is in there. He has some sort of connections to the CIA. So you have ATF informants, man, people with connections to the CIA, FBI informants, all, all citing McVeigh in the lead up to the attack. So again, you've got to ask yourself, is this a failed intelligence operation or something worse? You mentioned ATF informants. Who is Carol Howell? Well, Carol Howell at one point was Andy Strassmeyer's boyfriend. So again, a man with CIA connections dating an ATF informant. Um, but yeah, Carol Howe was a, um, a very attractive woman, a neo-Nazi, and the ATF used her as an informant because she was able to, you know, get information from men that she could manipulate and, and things like that. And so Carol Howe, she does a bang up job for the ATF, finding out all kinds of information about illegal activity going on at this Illahim City white supremacist compound. She even warns the ATF in early 1995 that people from Illahim City are traveling to Oklahoma City to case out federal buildings to potentially blow up. I just wanted to say very, very similar to uh, the 1993 World Trade Center bombing, where you have the informant Imad Salam saying, hey, you know, they're building the bombs. They're going to do this. They're going to do this. And, you know, happens anyways. Yeah, I think that informant even thought the FBI was going to try to entrap him, too, or something like that. But, uh, yeah, so Carol Howe, she warns that these neo-Nazis are planning to blow up the uh, blow up a building. Um, I forget exactly what happened, but the ATF cut her loose as an informant. I think the um, 
they were going to raid Elohim City. The ATF was, but the the FBI had the larger investigation going on, what I believe to be a failed sting. Um, and the ATF and FBI get into a fight over this, and they cut Carol Howell loose. The bombing happens a few weeks later, so Carol Howell's completely vindicated, and they bring her, they sign her on as an informant again, so she could try to get to the bottom of it. She works for a couple months. Some papers are leaked that exposed her name. Um, so her cover was blown. They pulled her out. Um, they ended up charging her for having some explosives or something like that, I think, to try to um, uh, destroy her credibility. Uh, she had a trial because, uh, well, for the charges. And in that trial, it revealed that the material she has was su supplied by the ATF. So that was a big fiasco. Uh, she's been off the grid ever since then. So unfortunately, I don't think I or any of the other researchers can track her down, but I'm sure she has quite the story to tell. I, I actually was trying to track her down at one point myself, so I know what you mean. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's interesting. You mentioned that you believe a field sting was part of this in, in LAM City. Uh, what do you mean by that? Because you explain that uh, for listeners that are new to this topic. Uh, about sting operations in general? No, just, um, I, well, I guess, can you speculate as to what the sting operation was and why it failed? And well, again, I know it's speculation, but. Yeah, I, yeah, this would be total speculation, but I believe that, so Waco was a very, very dark stain on the U.S. government. Essentially, the entire country, you know, they tried to spin it, but a lot of people realized that the federal government murdered you know dozens and dozens of people in a way things like waco and uh what happened at ruby ridge i mean in a way they're blowback because i, I think without them you don't actually get uh what's been called the patriot movement or the militia movement yeah exactly the yeah you radicalize people further when the fbi or when the government does you know shitty things so uh th there's that and there's also so We've been hearing a lot about this Michigan Whitmer trial that just collapsed in government's face. Well, there was another insurrection trial in the 80s against a militia called Committee of the States, where the U.S. government tried to claim that these guys uh, were planning to overthrow the federal government. And that collapsed in government's face. Um, so you have these Sear, Ruby Ridge, Waco, uh, this Committee of the States trial that collapsed. The government was looking very bad. They were getting embarrassed left and right. So I believe that the Oklahoma City sting operation would have been to discredit the well, if that's what, what it definitely ended up doing is discrediting the entire militia movement by painting them all as neo-Nazis and these radical violent racists, even though before that the militia movement was very decentralized. Some of them were terrible people, but others, you know, were just survivalists and things like that. So I believe the the whole operation, whether it was intended to or not, it did discredit the right wing militia movement at the time. Just to play devil's advocate here for mm -hmm. a second. So with Pat Cohen, you had mentioned the, the Committee of the States and, and reading about them, you had people involved with that, uh, including its co-founder, uh, David Moran, who would say extremely anti-Semitic things. And also, you know, in the 80s, we had this whole issue of uh, groups like the, the Bruder Schweigen uh, or, or the Order, the Silent sure. Brotherhood. So I could see why the FBI was like, well, we, we got to start doing something about this. 
so they start up PatCon in 91, but it sounds like in a way that could have created its own blowback. Uh, blowback would be generous because that makes it seem like it was an unintended consequence. Um, you want to get into John Matthews and the whistleblower right now? We can. Um, the allegation of Jesse Trenadue and his source, who is a whistleblower, is that the FBI actually purposely incites right wing groups to violence, specifically with PatCon. I'm sure they do it, you know, with other political ideologies, with other word salad programs, but. Uh, this specific PatCon, uh, according to the whistleblower, is an incitement operation, and, and I'd be happy to explain that further. If, if, if I, I would like you to explain that further, and it, it reminds me a little bit of, um, you know, I don't know if you know Trevor Aronson, who wrote about, I, I think it was a book called uh, Manufacturing Terrorism, where he deals with entrapment cases against Muslim Americans and how, uh, you know, feds were trying to incite uh, these uh, Muslims in mosques towards violence, uh, which is actually how I got interested in this topic. It seems like there's a lot of uh, parallels. Yeah, it seems like it's a common playbook for sure. Our mutual friend, Scott Horton, uh, I haven't read the book Terror Factory, but I've heard him talk about it many times. I've read a few articles and he talks about the FBI people entrapping Muslims into saying they're gonna blow up the Sears building when apparently that was a reference to some three-story building in the middle of Miami, like that the locals just called the Sears Tower. So yeah, some really disgusting stuff going on with there. In terms of PatCon, um, again, we talked earlier that records started t- trickling out in uh, 2007, 2008, describing this program. Uh, 2011, an informant who worked on PatCon uh, came out as a whistleblower and alleged that this was not an informant operation. This was an incitement operation. And we don't know. Was this the all... Newsweek article or? This was the Newsweek article. And, and just so people know, that was a lot of that ended up being heavily redacted for some reason. Yeah, for some reason. Yeah. So, yeah. So this whistleblower comes out to Jesse Trenadu, the guy whose brother was killed by the FBI or the government. And he describes how Pat Khan was an incitement operation. Uh, He tells Jesse how he saw Timothy McVeigh with Andy the German before the bombing, and the FBI never acted on this information. Uh, Jesse and the whistleblower John Matthews give all this story, gives this story to Newsweek on a silver platter. The reporter did a really good job writing the story. I know because I have an uncensored copy uh, but if you go, if you try to search for it online, look up the Newsweek story, you won't find any mention of Pat Connor or its connections to the Oklahoma City bombing. And so after the after the whistleblower realized he couldn't tell his story through the media, he agreed to testify in one of Jesse Trenadue's trials because he's still suing the FBI for records related to his brother's death and the bombing. This whistleblower is set to testify all about Pat Khan and Timothy McVeigh on July 30th, 2014. The night before, he tells Jesse that, you know, actually, I changed my mind. I'm out. I, I don't know anything about McVeigh. I can't really tell you anything helpful for your lawsuit. But Jesse believes that his witness, John Matthews, was actually intimidated by the FBI. And there's plenty of reason to believe that. He was contacted by FBI agents the night before he was set to testify. And 
the, the, this is, whole thing is still under investigation, by the way, for the last seven years. After the, the guy backed out, Jesse complained to the judge, and the judge agreed with Jesse that the FBI may, in fact, have intimidated his witness from testifying. He launches an investigation, uh, places gag orders on all the parties involved. And uh, again, this has all been uh, been handled behind closed doors for the last seven years. We don't really know the rest of the story yet. So I want to get more into OKC, but one more thing with regards to Pat Con, I, I found it very interesting. Uh, you said that one of the main targets uh, was this figure, uh, Tom Posey, um, who I think ran a thing called the Civilian Material Assistance Organization. And I found it interesting because I guess he was... Uh, he was involved in some dirty business in Nicaragua, and he's the guy that felt that Reagan threw him under the bus uh, during Iran Contra. So, could you uh, talk a little bit about that and how he was the main target uh, until you know uh, CMA ended, and you know with it supposedly uh, PatCon sort of ends as well. Yeah, and I think this whole lesson is a good or this whole story is a good lesson for why the u.s should not be sending arms to ukraine and why we shouldn't be encouraging american fighters to go to ukraine to help out you know kill russians because we've seen this happen before in the 80s we had a similar thing where soldiers of fortune these former vietnam vets were being used by the cia to go down and help the contras fight you know the scourge of communism or whatever and uh, so these guys are working for the CIA, the program falls apart, and what happens? They go home and start, you know, either some people would say working for the FBI or CIA, some people would say they were thrown under the bus and they, they started their own private militias that were actually working against the government. I'll say there's a great researcher, a historian named Wendy Painting, who- Wendy S. Painting, Aberration in the Heartland of the Real. Yeah, and she she's wrote that book, which is a fantastic study on McVeigh and this Pat Con. But she has another book coming out, and she has made she's hinted at she doesn't know if Tom Posey was actually a target of Pat Con, or maybe he was actually you know kind of an informant or some sort of operative. And I don't know all the details, but I, I can't wait for her book to come out because again, like the story hasn't been told entirely. So. Since you mentioned painting, put wrapping this up in a bow, her view of, of Pat Cohen, basically her view is that these informants, in order to prove they're not feds uh, and, and agents of Pat Cohen, are literally arranging uh, the theft, sale, and purchase of, of contraband and, and weapons and explosives. Yeah, exactly. This isn't quite this doesn't quite fit in the blowback theme, I don't think, but it's kind of a, a similar phenomenon where the government agents to prove that they're not government agents, they actually do violence and then, you know, things snowball from there. So yeah, it's, it's a bizarre phenomenon for sure. So technically PatCon officially wound up in September, 1993, then April 19th, 1995, which of course we're recording on the anniversary, uh, Oklahoma City bombing, 168 people dead, including 19 children. Uh, FBI just goes and blames lack of intelligence resources uh, and uh, Bob Ricks, uh, 
the FBI special agent in charge at the time of the bombing uh, says, oh, uh, we, we had the intelligence gathering capabilities defanged after the Watergate scandal and all this other stuff. Uh, what are we to make of uh, the way the FBI responds to the bombing? And uh, also, what do you think of uh, Bob Ricks and what he has had to say about the bombing? Uh, I should say, first of all, that I interviewed Bob Ricks for a story that I published today examining Merrick Garland's role because Merrick Garland was a prosecutor in the OK Summing uh, in the case prosecuted McVeigh. So, yeah, Bob Ricks, he was the public face for the FBI during the Waco fiasco. And the, some people think that Oklahoma City bombing happened because he was, Bob Ricks was working in that, uh, that office and they were trying to target, the neo-Nazis were targeting him as revenge for Waco. Um, but I did, I did talk to Ricks. He, he told me all about the investigation. He was very kind, very cordial personally. Uh, but he he doesn't believe that there's any loose strings. He's one of the guys who thinks, or he says he thinks, that the case is totally solved. And he also was the one who told a lot of reporters in 95 and 96 that the bombing went off because they didn't have any, you know, intelligence operations going that was, you know, tracking right-wing extremism. Uh, I asked Bob about PatCon last month for our interview. And he told me that he'd never heard of it. To this day, he's never heard of PatCon. He said it sounded like some sort of tinfoil hat conspiracy theory type thing. Um, so take what you will with that. I don't know the significance. I don't know if he's telling the truth. It could be It could be the case that things in the FBI are so compartmentalized um, that he didn't know about PatCon. But uh, yeah, I, I find it interesting that he's still sticking to uh, the original story all these years later. So before we start wrapping up, uh, what do you think the key points people need to understand about uh, what happened on April 19th with Timothy McVeigh and the bombing of the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building? Because, I mean, uh, up to that point, that was really the um, biggest terrorist attack of our time. And I think the, the story we're telling, we're going all over the place, and it's mm -hmm. actually a very... I have to be honest, it's, it's a hard story to tell. It's a lot like talking about 9-11 because there's so many details to it and it's like an intricate web. So for you, what are the main points we should be getting at when talking about uh, both the Oklahoma City bombing and uh, this issue of PatCon? Yes, well, first of all, I'll say I agree with you. It's a very difficult story to to describe i mean even if we're talking about 9-11 i could at least pitch you that conspiracy theory you know give you an elevator pitch you know if we're talking about jeffrey epstein i could say it's a billionaire who had an island and he ran this blackmail operation if we're talking about the kennedy assassination we could say you know this the cia the military industrial complex did a coup on the country you know if we talk about covid conspiracies whether any of these things, whether you believe them or not, they're very simple to talk about. It's, this is not the case with Oklahoma City. There's so many th threads going in various directions that it's very difficult to summarize in an elevator pitch. But again, I do believe that this was a case where the FBI had a sting operation 
and they messed up and the bombing went off and now they're still trying to cover up their culpability for the murder of at least 168 people to this day. And the very, um, real quick, I would say the few key points, the first one is 25, at least 24 witnesses saw McVeigh with an accomplice on the day of the bombing. We still don't know who that accomplice is. There's is is that evidence. the person known as uh, like John Doe number two? John Doe number two, yeah. And there's strong evidence that that person may have ties to the federal government, which is why the, the DOJ, the FBI, never wanted to prosecute this person. So the 24 witnesses is the one point. And the other point would be uh, Pat Con, the Pat Con whistleblower, John Matthews, who talks about Pat Con being an incitement operation. In, and he's quoted in sworn declarations. And the key is that this is still being investigated by a federally appointed special master. This is not a conspiracy theory that, you know, people are just talking about on the internet. There's actual federal judicial resources being diverted towards this and have been for seven years. Now, I, I had used the term blowback earlier, and I felt like maybe you were pushing back a little bit in the sense that I, I think you were thinking, or I, I got the impression that you were thinking I was maybe being uh, too kind about that, and that there's something much darker at work. Um, was I correct in, in sort of getting that gauge from you, or, or what did you mean when you said it's, it's worse than blowback? Yeah, that, that's what I meant by it. But I say it wouldn't be me making that claim. It would be the whistleblower, John Matthews, who said that the FBI purposely tried to incite these groups to violence. Uh, again, it might not be that, though. It could just be the case where these right wing groups are becoming more radicalized because the FBI is trying to infiltrate them. So they need more security measures. They need to get more hardcore. And again, yeah, this is like a snowball effect. And could you also talk about the article uh, you recently wrote uh, entitled uh, Researchers Say Garland Should Reopen the Oklahoma City Bombing Case He Helped Prosecute? I believe uh, our mutual friend Richard Booth uh, figures into that article. Could you speak to that? Yeah, Richard provided some records and a few statements that serve as the foundation for this article. And pretty much he points out that Arlen was a key prosecutor in the McVeigh case, and he led the DOJ in a preliminary hearing on April 27th, where he discusses a lot of what we've talked about today. Um, surveillance footage potentially showing McVeigh with an accomplice right before the bombing went off, or even speeding away in the yellow mercury right before the bomb went off. Uh, uh, Garland discusses the infamous John Doe too. He objects whenever the defense attorney asks about potential accomplices to McVeigh. He says, you know, your honor, McVeigh's on trial. We're not trying to find his neo-Nazi buddies. We were, we're focused on McVeigh. So the significance of this is that the sitting attorney general has intimate knowledge of what we're talking about. And if he had the political will or if he wasn't dirty himself, he should be able to uh, to get to the bottom of this, as Richard Booth has demonstrated with his work. So if there is a cover-up here, uh, how high does it potentially go? And I, again, I know that's speculative, but we've talked about Garland. Is there anyone else uh, that we can point to that 
you know, really fumbled the ball, uh, really botched things, or is trying to uh, pull some CYA, so to speak, some cover your ass. Okay. I will, yeah, make the disclaimer. This is not me speaking in any capacity as a reporter. This is me repeating what I've heard from Wendy Painting and some other podcasts from her and Richard and I think another researcher Wendy's friends with. Um, another, I think the key point that I haven't looked in fully as a journalist, but she suggests that perhaps the, perhaps the FBI was conducting a failed stinger operation, but there might've been some operatives in, with CIA connections that actually did want the bomb to go off, either to discredit the Patriot movement or possibly even to pin the attack on Saddam Hussein as some sort of precursor to 9-11 or something. I, I guess, again, I haven't looked into this deeply, but there was the CIA was planning a massive, a massive insurgency against Saddam Hussein in March 1995. And the feeling is that they were going to try to pin this attack on Saddam and do regime change that year and not wait until, what, you know, 2003 or 2004. Oh, Again, oh trust me. I, I know. No I, idea that- I was going to say there are. I come across all these different kinds of neocons, people like Steve Emerson at uh, the investigative project on terrorism, uh, former CIA people. Uh, there's all these different people that are really, you know, fixated on this idea that the Oklahoma City bombing was all the rock's fault. So that's very interesting that, you know, uh, there may have been people that wanted that as, as a pretext. I mean, I, I know that's all speculative. But. Well, there's certainly people that, you know, have written books blaming Saddam Hussein for Oklahoma City. Um, yeah, those have been pretty much discredited after 9-11. We knew that obviously Al-Qaeda wasn't an Iraqi front group. Um, but yeah, those conspiracy theories were pushed and there might be a Middle Eastern connection, but it wouldn't be Saddam Hussein blowing up the building. It would be the CIA trying to frame Saddam Hussein for blowing up the building. That would be your Middle Eastern connection that I, you know, I frankly, I still want to explore that. Is it possible, too, with this incitement that Matthews is talking about, like, you know, I I guess some people could say, oh, they're trying to incite them to violence so that an attack will happen. And I guess that's one possibility. Is there also the possibility of we'll incite these guys and then we'll stop them and then we'll be the heroes and, you know, that'll look good for us and uh, we'll be doing better in the agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the self-licking ice cream cone. Yeah, they get to make the big bus. They get bigger, bigger budgets. Everybody goes home happy. And yeah, I, I do believe that's what PadCon might have been. That's uh, Oklahoma City bombing. If that was, if the sting was successful, then it would have been a, a, a very similar situation to this recent uh, plot to capture the governor of Michigan. Again, that was supposedly plotted by some militias called the Three Percenters. The Wolverine Watchdogs, I think, right? Or yeah, the the Wolverine Watchmen was a local Michigan group, but a lot of these players involved were part of the Three Percenters militia, and it was revealed in the trial that three state chapters of the Three Percenters militia were run by literal FBI informants. These FBI, the FBI set up three percenters Facebook pages 
So again, when we talk about PADCON, the foundation of PADCON being a front group of FBI agents pretending to be neo-Nazis, uh, the similarities with the Michigan plot are striking with, you know, three percenters being run by FBI informants. And I just want to note real quick uh, with that Michigan case, I believe uh, two men uh, were just acquitted uh, in, in that plot, right? Yeah, uh, two men were found not guilty and their, their entire defense was, yes, we were part of this group. You know, we might have said some things, but this was an entrapment operation. So them being not found not guilty is another way of saying that the FBI is guilty of entrapment according to the Grand Rapids jury. Now, I, I know this is going off the beaten path, but did you did you look into that case at all? And did you talk to anyone that was like close to the case? Do you have any insights on it? I, I covered the first week of the trial. I can tell you, you know, the basics that most people know, there were, I think, 26 guys involved in the plot. Uh, 12, at least 12 of them were your undercover informants or FBI agents. And yeah, the thing is, uh, is started is pretty much collapsed. And again, the jury, the jury agreed with the defense that the FBI incited these guys, which again uh, lends more credence to uh, the PadCon whistleblower and what he says. So tying up loose ends, uh, where are they now? Uh, Jesse Trentadu and Donna Langan. Well, Langan, I guess, is in prison, but yeah, Jesse Trentadu has been suing the FBI. FBI for these records about Oklahoma City surveillance footage for, shoot, almost yeah, 27 years, 25 years now. Um, his case has been sealed and behind closed doors for the last seven years while the federal courts investigate this witness tampering allegation. Um, but that's where he is right now. He's still fighting this battle. And whenever this case, God willing, is unsealed, I think this could be this where the real damaging information comes out about Pat Khan, because who knows, he's probably deposing FBI agents. He, he won't tell me what's going on behind closed doors because they might they try to throw him in jail if he did. But you got to imagine that thousands of records have been produced about Pat Khan that we will eventually see when this case is unsealed. Uh, the other one, uh, Donna Langan. After being sentenced to life in prison in the 90s, uh, Donna Langan filed the sworn declaration for Jesse Trinity's case, where um, Langan talks about the neo-Nazis who were responsible for Oklahoma. Uh, that never resulted in any more investigations, obviously. And Langan sits in a female prison where she's um, you know, championing transgender rights. Um, I believe it's like a PR play where she's just trying to get out of prison. Although I will say she's legitimately transgender and has been since a very young child. Like you read about the history that that's for certain. Um, but that's where she is. And, you know, she's I think she's trying to move on and distance herself, because if any of this comes out, it could um, it could implicate her. I should say, sorry if this is rambling, but the real key point is there were witnesses who saw McVeigh on April 19th, the day of the attack, with supposedly a woman in the rider truck or the Mercury, I forget which vehicle. But the thought was that that might be this um, uh, Pete Langan before he transitioned to Donna. It was the disguise as a woman, but you know, be actually being able to be herself. 
for the domestic terrorist attack. You know, what, what a touching thought, getting to express her real gender identity before she bombs uh, 168 people to death. So Langan is unlikely to spill any beans about the OKC bombing. I think what Langan said about, you know, her, her cohorts at the time being responsible, she, she might be willing to uh, repeat that. But if, if Garland were in the fantasy world to actually reopen the investigation, you know, I would imagine she'd be lowering up and would not be willing to talk anymore. So uh, final thoughts here. Uh, what do you hope that my listeners get out of this conversation? I, I think we've done a pretty good job uh, laying out what PatCon was and a sort of different view of the Oklahoma City bombing that I, I think uh, it, it doesn't sound outlandish to me. It's not like we're arguing, uh, like I said, we're not arguing uh, the government literally put bombs in the buildings and brought down the twin towers. We're not saying, oh, it was an absolute inside job, but we are saying something is askew. And I, I think that's really uh, a key point of this conversation. But what, what do you want listeners to get out of it? That's a good question. I still haven't totally wrapped my own mind around what I think about this case and, and how, how it's informed my political views. Um, I guess one thing I'll mention, I've been covering um, another, another case, the leader of an all-Black militia uh, called the Not Effing Around Coalition. Uh, they were, you might have seen all these videos of these uh, Black militiamen marching through uh, Kentucky during the Breonna Taylor protest, the Black Lives Matter protests. Uh, well, the FBI accused him of pointing a gun at a cop during one of these protests. Um, they threw some charges at him. And you haven't seen this militia at all ever since 2020 because the leader was arrested and he faces trial. In fact, next week, I'm going down to Kentucky to cover his case. Um, but long story short, I would say I would tell those guys that you know, Pat Con is probably being targeted at black militias too. This is people that everybody should be aware of this. Uh, another lesson I think your listeners uh, should take from this is the dangers of being involved in Ukraine right now. I think if Nicaragua and the Iran-Contra scandal evolved into Pat Con in Oklahoma City, God knows what is going to come out of us sending the CIA to train literal neo-Nazis in Ukraine. Um, I a Boogaloo boy or one of these right-wing um, guys who are at January 6th, apparently he went to Ukraine uh, to go fight the Russians. Um, I think he's way in over his head. He's like crying or something like that. He wants to come home. But it could be hardcore guys going over there, getting trained by the Azov Battalion and coming back here to do domestic terrorism attacks. And people on the left need to be aware of this, that it's not necessarily their political enemies. It's not their voters. It's not their neighbors that are necessarily driving this. It could be another PatCon. That, that would be the lesson I'd have for today. You know? Well, what was it the FBI said in the one document recently? Uh, we, we need to be worried about the black identity extremists, which I understand there's people on the right that think that's a problem, but it's also, that's an extremely vague term. What, what constitutes that? So the left should worry about that 
if that's, you know, if they're concerned about uh, Black Lives Matter and things of that nature. So I, I think we have to keep our eye on the ball and realize, you know, you know, the feds have a track record. So I, I hope people get that out of this conversation. And I want to thank you again, Ken Silva, for coming on Parallax Views. Uh, how can my listeners uh, keep up with your work? I would say go to Twitter and search ha- hashtag PatCon. I, I couldn't, you know, you'll find me through there. <laughs> well, that does it for this edition of Parallax Views. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ken Silva. As always, if you appreciate the work here I do at Parallax Views, please, please, please consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash parallax views one more time that's patreon.com slash parallax views you can donate one five ten fifteen or a hundred dollars any amount will help and i'm working on putting up some new content this weekend exclusively for my patreon supporters and with that being said Until next time, you've been listening to Parallax Views with Parallax Views to Parallax Views with The way out is not simply to say don't do it, just to prohibit. If nothing else, if we don't do it, others will be doing it like crazy. So you know we have to confront the problem. But no, basically, basically, I'm, I know of the great anxiety problems, new forms of control, but it's also new forms of freedom. This is why I always emphasize that uh, uh, internet and all this new digital stuff, it's a very ambiguous phenomenon, but it's the field of struggle. New forms of enslavement, but at the same time, new incredible forms of freedom. We have to accept the fight with no nostalgia for old, allegedly more authentic communities or whatever. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.